Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. More from, well, me later as we discuss what it's like using Apple Pay. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. Now, normally, this is the part of the show that Ian says hello, and I say that we're going to start with this week's picks from the UK tech news. But Ian is in bed with the plague, or something ill. He's not very well. Poor Ian. Do wish him well on podcast at Nate of course. Um, so this week, we have got a slightly tweaked show. Um, we've got a interesting feature about Apple Pay in which um, in no small part will I be basically interviewing myself um, and we're also going to be talking to Andrew Hoyle of CNET.com about Formula E. He went down to Battersea where the Formula E, the electric Formula One was taking place. He spoke to uh, Richard Branson, he got to record some of the cars and there's some really interesting stuff going on on the tech side of Formula E. Not least the ability for the most popular racers, that is racers the humans to gain a speed boost simply by having more twitter followers it's very controversial as far as i can see so we've got a section about that coming up later we've also got some of your feedback that we're going to get to um, so still a pretty packed show but uh, not so much with the news but there is one news topic that i have to talk about because frankly i'm slightly disgusted and this is the fact that ripping music and films is once again illegal in the UK after a high court overturned a law made in October last year. Now, as a bit of background here, um, in October, it was made legal for people to actually rip CDs for their iPods. So this is something that not a lot of people actually knew was illegal, but it technically was very hard to enforce, but technically illegal. The idea of buying a CD, putting it in your computer, and then making a copy to put that onto your iPod for listening. You paid for the music, but music bodies such as the ones we're going to be talking about today actually say you shouldn't do that and that artists should be compensated for that additional copy and basically maybe you should be paying twice for that album one for your cd one for your iphone it's never been clear exactly how such things should be enforced and despite a few months almost a year of it being technically legal a sudden breakthrough of common sense there it's now illegal again so where does this put us? Well, it means that technically now you, if you buy a CD, and I know there are some of you and I'm one of them as well, it's illegal for you to put that on your iPod or your iPhone or your Android or whatever it is. And it's absolutely bonkers. Now, I've referred, referred to 
a BBC article um, that came out a week, uh, a few days ago. And there's a quote in here from the CEO of UK Music, which is a, an industry body here that uh, allegedly works to protect copyright holders and artists. And here's a quote from Joe Dipple, the CEO of UK Music. Can't get much higher than that. Joe says... Last month, the High Court agreed with us that government acted unlawfully when it introduced an exception to copyright for private copying without fair compensation. We therefore welcome the court's decision today to quash the existing regulations. It is vitally important that fairness for songwriters, composers and performers is written into the law. My member's music defines this country. It is only right that government gives us the standard of legislation our music deserves. We want to work with government so this can be achieved. And the Musicians' Union also took part in the action, according to BBC. Now, that's Joe Dipple, CEO of UK Music's view. And I generally aim to offer two sides to every discussion we have on this show, but this is a topic to which there is no suitable other side to discuss, as far as I can see. Decisions like this one are surrounded by a horde of misguided ideas and absolute ignorance, essentially. And it's, it's actually baffling to assume that any family could even consider buying one copy of an album for their CD player at home and another copy of the same album for their iPod, another for each of their two children's iPods, maybe, and maybe even another one for a spouse. That's the only way these artists are even going to get compensated because how else are you supposed to give money from your machine or what have you um, to an artist or to a, a royalty collection agency uh, simply through the process of turning a CD into an MP3 for your own use. I mean, even prior to the advent of digital reproduction that MP3s enabled, um, nobody would buy five copies of a vinyl or CD for every person in the house. There was a, a rule where uh, blank audio CDs did come with a royalty payment to an industry body, but how would that actually ever get to the artists? You know, I mean, it's impossible to know that I was copying, let's say, Flesh God Apocalypse and Cattle Decapitations new CDs onto a blank CD. No, it would go to a central pot and be divvied out. At the moment, it's been less true today than ever that these sorts of personal copying practices do not necessarily need to um, be in place, or at least money does not need to be given for these additional copies being made. I mean, when we look at something like Spotify or Apple Music, they offer one subscription to power multiple devices, catalogs of music. The only goal, as far as I can see, um, that moves like the one we're discussing today, score, is to perpetuate an outdated mode of thinking. It's an own goal, actually, because the publicity that it gets does nothing to earn public support for the industry bodies allegedly trying to help artists maintain a creative advantage to British musicians. Frankly, I would actually be hanging my head in shame if I had to work at an industry body that put me on the front page of a newspaper or a podcast or a website, cheering the great advantage to Britain that these sorts of decisions make. That's before we even get into how ridiculous laws like this will ever be enforced. I buy CDs several a month, actually, and I have a subscription to Apple Music and Spotify. I'm a, I know that I'm a valuable customer to the music industry, and I'm disgusted, basically, that any portion of the money that I give goes in any way to support these sorts of backward moves for an industry that, despite a decade of controversy, with piracy and, and challenges has finally started to move forward with innovation and innovative solutions to an what is basically an overwhelming love for music globally. Joe Dipple, UK Music, I, I think this is a joke and your praise of these decisions to the court 
to do nothing but to further highlight in the public eye how out of touch with every music lover in the country you are. Um, and I invite you to come on to the show to discuss it fairly. I would give you an entire episode just to this topic, in fact, because as far as I can tell, all decisions like this do is put Britain on a list of nations that deserve to be mocked. But anybody can get in touch, obviously. Podcast at natelangson.com. Now, elsewhere in the news this week was Apple Pay. And I, for one, dearly enjoyed the number of websites and blogs that had first-hand, hands-on experiences of, of paying for things with a phone and a watch. And lots of photographs of wrists being placed near card readers. It was, it was gripping, uh, innovative stuff. Loved it. Um, if anything, one of the reasons maybe why it is actually, if we're honest, so tedious, is because the technology does seem to work pretty well. If it was actually difficult to use or came with huge numbers of problems, then maybe personal stories about what it's like to use would be a bit more interesting to read. But nonetheless, we had planned on doing an Apple Pay segment this week. Um, Ian was going to come into town. We were going to have lunch and pay for things with Apple Pay. And it was going to be uh, frightfully interesting to to sort of narrate the experience. Now, uh, he didn't. Um, but that's not a problem because I came up with an innovative solution. It's groundbreaking. We are going to try an experiment now with a live interview of myself in the past using Apple Pay. So, without further ado, over to me, who I believe is walking through London's Finsbury Square on my way to buy lunch. Actually, no, I'm on Moorgate. Well, at least the lunch part was correct. I found somebody who has got an Apple Pay bank, or a bank that actually supports Apple Pay, and I'm en route to Starbucks. I'm gonna pay for what I can only assume will be a sausage or bacon-based piece of produce now walking through the door so far everything is exactly the same as i was expecting it to be had this been done with cash now let's see if this changes the selection experience he has picked an all-day breakfast butty so far nothing has changed this is exactly as we would be expecting just waiting to be served now so the phone has just come out <coughs> now loading up passbook you can see on the screen an image of a credit card a virtual credit card the message says hold near reader to pay slightly premature sausage has not been heated yet we still have a cold sausage but the phone is ready Hi. hello uh, may i uh, pay with this for with, with apple pay yeah we've confirmed that the staff do indeed know that apple pay exists they are ready we're moving towards the till now Okay, finger is on the print reader. Oh, the card has been read. Okay, and that's it. Two ninety nine is on the screen. Pay has been completed. That was remarkably simple. Last transaction, London, England, just now. Two pounds ninety nine. So it doesn't tell it doesn't tell you what the product was, um, but it does tell you that it was spent. So that took absolutely no more time than using a card. I suppose that is as advertised. I was expecting it to be more complicated than that. Some faffing around, experimenting with different types of fingering on the button, but no, it just took place. 
and you hold it as you would hold a card just in the same area. Yeah. Well, there's a bit of an a bit of an update. We're done. Here comes the food. What a great day. What a great day for England and there, of course, for the world. Process completed, minimum of fuss. Have to say that was almost tediously predictable. It worked fine. No faff, no fuss. And now my friend here is nourished or will be nourished. Cash not required. Thanks, Nate, me. Uh, now, I know Ian was going to join you uh, for this shopping trip initially, but he is poorly, um, hence me needing to interview you about this. So how was the experience overall? Did it feel different? No, not really, no, actually. Um, I was sort of expecting it to be a bit more of a faff, a bit more pressing around different buttons and selecting card and the reader not accepting the card or confused staff which uh, I found once in, in Boots, you have to ask them if you want to use contactless and they sort of fluster around trying to work out how to enable it. So you end up taking more time just to get them to accept contactless than it takes you to put in a pin. Um, but it was actually fine. Um, he did get his sandwich. He paid with his phone. I mean, that's, that was the intended result. That is what happens. Does the food taste any different? No, no, it was still a sausage-based sandwich. Nothing changed there. Nothing remarkable. Fair enough. Um, have uh, you or anyone you've seen been using Apple, the Apple Watch to pay for anything yet? That's a good question. No, sadly not. I was actually going to use it to take the tube in. I've seen a lot of journalists writing enthusiastically about uh, paying money for, from the wrist instead of the fingers. So I wanted to experience the thrill firsthand. Or first wrist, if you will. <laughs> I certainly will. OK, well, thanks, Nate. And I, I hope the rest of this section uh, continues with this fantastic continuity. And I remember what you're going to say next. Oh, I'm sure he will. Thanks. Let us know if you've been using Apple Pay, podcast at natelangson.com. That is where you can get in touch and let us know what was it like paying for things with your wrist or your iPhone. It might seem a bit of a stretch to say that a motor race can help save the world, but with Formula E, that's not such an outlandish statement. The new race series held on the streets of cities around the world uses cars that look almost identical to the vehicles seen in the globally popular Formula One series, but are powered entirely by electricity rather than petrol. Well, those were the words of Mr. Andrew Hoyle from CNET.com in an article titled How Formula E Can Overtake F1 and Help Save the World. Strong words, Mr. Andrew Hoyle from CNET. Strong words indeed, but true words. Yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Formula E because you did this fab feature um, a couple of weeks ago and I heard a lot about it on CNET's podcast that you co-host. And I was also particularly interested to hear about a particular aspect of Formula E that I think has something in common with things like pay to win in games, micropayments, all sorts of things coming to the racing world. Um, but first, with your permission, because you went to Formula E and you recorded some Formula E vehicles. I wanted to hear what Formula E electric cars sound like. So we've got a clip that you recorded. Here it is. So they sound like cars. Well, they sound like sort of... I think they sound really cool. I think they sound kind of what 
future cars people thought in the 80s would sound like um something like the jetsons yeah something that you're very futuristic and very different i mean certainly it's it's very different from that ear splitting whine of of typical f1 cars mm. so what 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 is a formula e race like i mean in in person obviously it's electric cars that's kind of the whole point so there's probably this air of uh futureness like we're getting away from fuel we're not burning fossil fuels and destroying the planet to race um but what's the atmosphere like are they the same people that go to these things who's involved i think very similar yeah and it's um one of one of the main benefits of formula e is that they're actually bringing this into city centers so the the london race was actually held inside battersea park which is right in the center of the capital which is brilliant because it means that people don't have to drive sometimes you know a couple of hundred miles to to go to a dedicated racetrack i mean i had to drive halfway across the continent to go to um le mans on this dedicated racetrack in france you know you don't have to have that with this you don't have to drive to to silverstone which is i'm not even entirely sure where silverstone is but it's it's quite a way away um and so it's really exciting i mean people who live in london and families and schools and things can come along and see this but the race itself is every bit as exciting as a standard motor race because you've they're still going incredibly fast down these small tight tracks and with the same cornering and the cars look pretty much the same and they have similar performance actually so it's in terms of it being like an exhilarating event it's it's got everything that f1 has do the cars look the same as F1 cars? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Because, I mean, in my head, I mean, I know we've got the Tesla that's kind of an edge case, but to me, an electric car is things like the Nissan Leaf and the people that park them, uh, you know, the opposite way around in spaces <laughs> just to prove that they're doing something differently from normal cars. Yeah, no, these are very different. These They do look um, exactly um, like F1 cars. They've, you know, that whole very low thing looks a bit like an arrow and and it'd be designed obviously with the same aerodynamics in mind as f1 so that you can get the the best performance the best efficiency i'm looking at a quote in your cnet article from richard branson who said formula e makes green racing or so green energy sexy if you go back 10 or 20 years people thought electric cars were something granny drove now they see wonderful hybrids looking sleek looking sexy and that puts a spur on the revolution the world needs it's going to be a very exciting revolution now if i was to read the subtext in that that is basically formula e exists to help push the agenda of electric vehicles yeah and that's no bad agenda to push because the benefit with this is not only is this going to help um sort of drive it forward as a motorsport this is going to get people excited about electric cars this is getting people thinking okay electric cars you know maybe they've read some headlines of they've seen a couple of top gear episodes where people believe that oh electric cars just aren't really important you know they haven't got the range you haven't got the battery capacity whereas this is actually getting people excited and thinking oh wow okay so battery battery taking cars has got a place in in motor racing and therefore in motoring in general mm. the second part of course is that this is actually helping develop that battery technology things that they're learning to do here in terms of efficiency of the battery and in um, using brakes to actually harvest energy um, to then put back into that battery um, those things are all going to be sort of filtered down into road cars which will help sort of push that technology forwards mm. Well, one of the other aspects of Formula E that I found most interesting, and this is the thing when I was uh, reading your feature, this is the thing that stood out to me. Uh, one of my eyebrows distinctly heightened uh, relative to its partner on the front of my head. And this is something called Fan Boost. Now, to me, this is something that feels like it undermines the skill required to win a competitive sport like uh, like a car race because it is essentially vote people who can can essentially vote for their favorite driver and the person with the most votes gets a five second boost on their time that's exactly it 
Well, the, well, they they get they get a they get a slight increase in in speed. Um, so I think um, 180 kilowatts an hour is the battery capacity normally, but with fan boost they get five seconds at 200 kilowatts, which you know they can deploy at any point for maybe an overtake or or something. Um, but just but but what I mean I, I know this isn't your idea, but I have to grill you because I know that you no, of course you interviewed people about this, and there's a big paragraph, a big section about this in your feature. It, it just to me it just it feels like a I mean obviously it's just a popularity game, but why should having more fans mean that you get the potential to deploy that magic button like that it's the nitro boost equivalent out yeah, of fast and furious it like, is so I, I agree with that and that was my my first comment and it's also been the comments of um most of the motoring industry that that feature hasn't really gone down that well and it's understandable However, the argument that they're using is that what this is doing is allowing just a much, much bigger audience engagement for a new racing series, for new technology, allowing people to actually get involved um, and talk to the talk to the racers and the drivers they and the teams anyway. on Twitter. Well, they can, but now they've got more of a reason to to really get involved and to re- and for the drivers to to have more of an incentive to talk to the fans and to do signings and do oh come along to the uh, Formula E race and tweet at them and putting things on Facebook and basically getting more people involved and getting people aware that this race exists in order to so that hopefully they will then get these fan boosts and the actual boost itself is is very very small and um, it certainly won't really change the outcome of a race well, you, you say that but I mean these are races that are you know they have partners from you know people like Tiso and Swatch and stuff for timing that are measured in fractions of a second because those fractions can matter. I mean, in that context, these that five seconds of potential additional speed could make the difference, if not between winning and losing, could be in the difference between second and third place. Yeah, which which can be huge. I mean, in the gaming, I, I liken this at the beginning of this segment to something out of the gaming world, which is pay to win, which is something that's always really controversial in competitive games online, not so much single player games, but ones where you're playing against other people, where essentially, if you're happy to pay for, you know, more powerful spells or, um, you know, bigger swords in a game, purely by just throwing cash at the developer, then you get a competitive advantage over another player and it's always a controversial move gamers generally tend to frown upon these things because it looks like a money grab this isn't a money grab but it does feel like a something grab and i haven't put my finger on it well in a in a pay to win then sense um how is that that much different then from formula one generally where the teams with the most money will win because they can throw all the money that in the world at developing a car that's physically more capable than other cars like that that already is the case and they and they achieve better performance in their cars because they've got more money i think it's a fair comeback i suppose the difference is that everyone is trying to spend as much money on developing this technology and trying to develop different types of technology. But not everybody has that money. It's like you playing Elder Scrolls, as you do, and saying, oh, you know, well, I could throw money at this and I could throw however much cash at buying um, upgrades and buying health boosts and stuff so that when you're in battle, you'll be the one that wins. But a 14-year-old kid who, who, can't, who only just managed to be able to afford to buy the game doesn't have that same amount of money. He's still playing the same game, still wanting to play it, just like you, but there is that money difference there, and there is that in F1 too. At the end of the day with this, this is, is not something that's going to stick around, fan boost. It's not going to be um, 
forever in their racing series they've already said that it was sort of sort of a short-term publicity stunt publicity stunt absolutely but that and that's no bad thing to try and get people involved in this at an early stage particularly something when it's already in the cities they're trying to bring people to this to get excited about something Mm -hmm. and i think actually something that has the noble cause of driving forward electric technology that will be the thing that helps our planet survive in the future fine great do what you need to do to get people involved fair enough well i mean it's good to see this is something that's happening in in the uk obviously that's the reason we're talking about it this was held in battersea virgins involved but um but formula e has worldwide ambitions i know it's been played it's been done in other other cities um around the world and it's an exciting new Thing. I mean, it's weird because I'm not into motorsport at all. And the, but the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is when I read this, I found myself being interested in motorsport in a way that I haven't been in the past because it's to do with electric vehicles. Because as you say, it's more in the public consciousness. The fan boost thing, that kind of social media aspect, you know, it, I agree, it does help engage people like me who are maybe on the periphery of being interested. Yep. It just push me over the edge. So that's great. Um, well, anyone listening can make a note of, uh, if you just search Formula E CNET, you will find Andy's article and you might uh, find it. You might search Formula E Save the World. Fair enough. That will find it. And there's some fantastic pictures in there and a hell of a lot more that we didn't get time to talk about today. Andrew Hoyle, CNET.com. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, it's time to move on to some feedback. We've got uh, quite a stuffed inbox of emails that we've had over the last two or three weeks, and um, we will get through um, them all um, over the next few weeks. It's good to have some uh, a bit of backlog. Now, I'm getting, I don't know about you, uh, dearest of listeners, um, but I'm getting a little bit fed up of my own voice on this show today. So, in the in the, in the interest of, of having a bit of vocal diversity and a bit of excitement on this show, I'm going to introduce an entirely new voice. An entirely new voice to read out each of these emails. We're going to do a couple. And I'm extremely excited to welcome this voice onto the show. And it, it is going to start by reading an email from Tim. Really liked the session on Minecraft this week. As a dad of an 8 and 10 year old I can tell you my boys love the game. But what I find strange about it is the amount of time they spend watching other people play on the game through YouTube. And yet they learn an incredible amount through this medium. I'm pleased to see that educators and the various companies involved in education seem to be picking up on this finally. For me though the really the best part about the game is the way it allows me to connect with my children. For many reasons I don't see them in person as often as I'd like. However, having the chance to meet up with them for a virtual fishing trip or caving adventure from a hotel room after a hard day's work can really brighten up my day. Keep going with the podcast. I know you have many fans out there, Tim. Very true. Thank you very much indeed, Tim. And uh, and Fiona, of course, for, for reading that on behalf of Tim. Um, I think that I can relate to this definitely, having family living elsewhere in the in the country. And although my uh, my grandma does not play Minecraft yet, give her time, the the ability to get FaceTime video calls, incoming FaceTime video calls from a grandparent uh, to me 
is pretty amazing. Even though video calling has been around for a long time, that's something that I think Apple really nailed on the head. And it definitely allows us to feel um, you know, closer, even though I don't get to see them anywhere near as much. So it's it's really interesting that Minecraft can offer a similar sort of thing for, for modern dads and sons, daughters. It's really good. So thanks very much for getting in touch, Tim. Well, we have another email that I want to get to. And of course, in the interest of diversity, I have chosen to pick a voice from another part of the world. And this is to uh, to read out an email we've had come in here from Richard. I was born in 1979. I have never considered myself a millennial. However, my eldest son was born in 2001, so he definitely is. My wife and I have three other sons aged 10, 7 and 5 and with the exception of live sports, Wimbledon, World Cup, Six Nations, Olympics, we watch practically zero live TV. We record everything we want to watch. Series Link is a wonderful invention on the Sky Plus box so that we can watch it when it is convenient and so that we can forward through all the adverts and rubbish filler to the actual parts that interest us. For kids shows the boys all watch using Netflix on their iPads and virtually never even turn on the TV. My wife and I usually work our way through box sets on Netflix too. For the boys, we have hundreds of kids DVD, but in the past few years they basically just gather dust. It's just old technology, that means finding the right one, the right remote, and having to put something away again. If it isn't on Netflix, at a few presses away, they just don't bother watching it. If it wasn't for live shows, we wouldn't even bother having a skybox either. The day is coming where we will hopefully be able to get rid of it completely and save the £51 per month. Absolutely love your podcast. I listen to them all, and my co-workers all listen to them too. Regards, Richard. Well, Richard, I think your whiff and you uh, both have very similar habits to uh, to my girlfriend and I. Uh, anything on a box in a, in a disc rarely gets watched, with the one exception, actually, I have to say, of Star Trek Voyager, which uh, Kate has on a, on a DVD box set, which every now and again we find that streaming from the media server that's in my, in my house to... Um, the laptop just gives up and it is sometimes easier to put the DVD in the bo- in the Xbox and press play. But that is uh, uh, one incredible exception to the rule. Um, and thank you very much. I'm glad your colleagues enjoy the show. Hello to Richard's colleagues. Um, tell your spouses. Well, that's going to do it for this week. And it's been a slightly odd show i've got about well i've got exactly 41 minutes until i have to leave my flat for a flight to new york so um some of this has been put together at the last minute i hope it's still been enjoyable and uh, maybe you can let us know what you think to tessa and karen um giving some vocal support to the program today let us know anything you want us to talk about in the future podcast at natelangston.com hopefully ian will return with a healed chest next week 